Corners mean a little more in 2020 thanks to Primera Blue Cross and the Corners for Community program. Whenever your Seattle Sounders take a corner kick this regular season, Primera Blue Cross will donate $500 to Rave Foundation and its mission of empowering and strengthening local communities through the vehicle of soccer. To learn more about Corners for Community and to see how much Primera has donated to date, visit soundersfc.com slash corners for community. Primera Blue Cross, always in your corner. Listen to this. Sakamani, the flying winger. Here's Brad Evans. It's Steve. It's Steve. Who is it? It's Brad Evans. <laughs> said it again. Happy days are here again. Turning with a drive. It's Steve Zakawani. Evans with the left foot. He's an attacking threat, Brad Evans. This is so weird. The party has started. What's going on, Sounders fans? Welcome, winging it with Zach and Brad on a more somber tone because the team lost. MLS is back, he's no longer back. And it's not just that the team lost, maybe it's the way the team lost. So we're going to get into that, a little recap of the game, and not just the LAFC game, but the tournament as a whole, um, keeping in mind that the LAFC game actually doesn't count for anything in terms of regular season, if we get one at this point. And then we'll talk about maybe a couple of the other games we saw. Um, our old friend Ozzy Alonso's team progressing in the tournament. Some other standout teams like San Jose will touch on that. We'll be joined by a special guest from um, Olympic Reign and the US Women's National Team, Sofia Huerta. And then we'll touch on, not much, but we'll touch on maybe some things the club can address going forward um, to not get back to anywhere, but just to, 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 to tighten things up a little bit. But only one place to start, um, unfortunately, and it was the beating against um, LAFC. And it's weird that at some point, at one point when Will Bruin scored, I mean, there was actually a hope that he could force penalties or maybe even squeeze out a comeback of some sort. But Ultimately, I think when you have an own goal, a penalty, and two mistakes like that against that kind of team, even without Carlos Vela, you're going to lose. So, um, Brad, I mean, your, your assessment of the game, I mean, it wasn't good, but yeah. What, what do you, you think of it? Woof. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would just say surprising, to say the least. Yeah. Um, you know, but sometimes this happens, right? Like, you, you go into a playoff game where you're considered the underdog. You come out and you play the best game the team's ever played. And that's the game that everyone remembers, right? That's the game that left LAFC possibly without an MLS Cup, right? Like they were going to be the favorites if they if they yeah. won to to host MLS Cup and, and win it at home. So, you know, knowing Bob, knowing Ante, uh, the whole coaching staff, you know that they've been reeling about this matchup and a revenge matchup, no matter how much they tried to downplay it. Uh, and LAFC was flying. Like, it, it didn't even look like they were tired at all the entire game. I don't yeah. know if that was circumstance, the team that they were playing against, revenge. Um, you know, and the Sounders looked sluggish and uh, just could not find a way to to really break lines and put any sort of sustained pressure. Um, you know, but like you said, in saying that, you uh, you get a goal back through through Bruin, and, and he should have had another one, actually. And, and that was just yeah. a finish of... Of uh, you know someone who hasn't been on the field in you know well over a year, um, he I think he'd like to have that one back because it actually sat pretty nice on the replay, um, you know. And then the game totally changes if if that happens, right? LAFC is like, oh no, not again. But you know, 
make a couple of mistakes, you find yourself, um, you know, four, one losers and, you know, you're coming home early. Um, you know, I think the guys will be disappointed. I don't think Schmetz no. has to say anything. They'll read it online. They, they know the performance they left on the field. Um, you know, and in saying that you regroup and, and I, you know, looking today, it looks like we'll have some sort of a season. Um, so yeah. in, in saying that the guys get back on their feet, um, you know, get healthy. I'm sure when they get here, they'll touch down and uh, realize that it's absolutely beautiful here. And, uh, you know, yeah. the mind shift totally changes. I mean, n nothing works on either side of the pitch, um, but it, it, it's impossible to, I mean, if we're not, we're not, we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't address the defensive shortcomings. Because it, was, it wasn't like, I mean, LFC were good, don't get me wrong, but Sounders were also their own worst enemy. It was um, really, really juvenile um, schoolboy errors, just like simple giveaways and dumb fouls and things like that. Um, obviously, a lot of question marks still over Ariaga. I think that's fair at this point. Um, mm -hmm. The potential's there. We can see it. And again, you're never going to replace Chad Marshall. He's going to come around once every 20, 30 years. So that's not what we're trying to do. But... Is there, how concerned are you with the backline that Yamar gets injured and then suddenly we look so depleted and when you come up against an offense like that, who are just going to come and go, 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 that that can happen? Yeah, look, I think we talked about it early in the year is this was my biggest concern the whole time. We know what this offense can do, but without a good defense, that's yeah. where everything starts because the Sounders are now going to play a four-yard pass to Shane O'Neill or Ariaga to start the play out of the back. So if things do not build well within the first two passes, then the attack doesn't see the ball at all. These guys get frustrated. They start trying to do too much then when they get the ball because they're not seeing it as often and things break down, right? I think the ultimate goal is to have two center backs that can make good pa entry passes play out within two or three. And you saw glimpses of it in the game. You know, when yeah. the entry ball came into Christian, Christian plays one time uh, to Kelvin and the guys are off, right? That's all well and beautiful, but you had to do it consistent, consistent, consistently. You can only do that with top class players playing out of the back. So maybe it's not a style that these guys are used to playing. Um, you know, this is something probably pretty new for the Sounders, I would say. Um, but in saying that, yeah, it's, it's yeah. definitely a concern. Um, I don't know if Ariaga. Is, is he going to be a playmaker out of the back or is he the type historically through his club team in the past that has just sent long balls and he's just mm -hmm. a hard tackler? So if you're trying to mold a player into a new way of playing, that's one thing. You know, you kind of take your lumps. You know, I got thrust into a center back position and made a couple mistakes, but Zig said, hey, yeah. we're going to stick with you there and you're going to kind of figure it out. So if that's the case, then so be it. We're going we're gonna to have to take our lumps at some point and it happens to be against a really good LAFC team. Uh, and then the guys yeah. now get back for two or three weeks and you continue this pattern of, you know, playing out of the back consistently. No long balls. This is what we're going to yeah. do. We're going to hammer it in. So that's the case, I think. Um, but, yeah, definitely a concern. I think it's a concern that is uh, warranted. Yeah, I mean, the offensive group wasn't necessarily much better either. I mean, didn't I, th I think the whole tournament was a bit of an off tournament for Nico, which, which can be explained away. Yeah, such a long layoff, probably a very interrupted preseason um, with the pandemic and everything. I mean, Raul wasn't at his best. Jordan maybe had one opportunity to make a run. Handwala never really took his opportunity um, um, on the wing. So there's a lot of question marks there. Obviously, Wilburin coming in helped a lot. Um, I've been the biggest evangelist for Jordan Morris, the biggest, you know, fan of Nico Ladero. Um, you played, I didn't play with Nico, you played with Nico. I, I don't think I've seen him this ineffective, if ever. I mean, he's always sort of made his mark on the game. If he can't get through the run of play, maybe it's a set piece, he's drawing fouls. 
he looks a shadow of himself. Is there, I mean, I'm going to completely be an alarmist here, and I know I shouldn't, but is there any concern whatsoever about Nico? No, I don't think so. I think at this point, with that type of player, it's all about repetition in games. Um, you know, and I, I think maybe he's trying to do too much. I think that happens. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of saw Jordan in the first couple games. You know, we talked about him, but we didn't know that he was going to step into the tournament and and provide, you know, really that speed. And, and you kind of saw him mold into a different player in the first couple games. Um, you know, and then there's a lot of talk about him on, you know, social media websites about he's the guy that's going to lead this team yeah. to the next round. Right. And then all of a sudden nothing gets done in the game against LAFC frustrated, um, you know, not connecting certain amount of passes that he probably would. I think the same goes for Nico. I think a lot is on his shoulders. And when you try to do too much, it ultimately is a detriment. So, you know, he's just got to get back to basics. I think coming off a long way, it's different for Will Bruin because he is a yeah. one one trick pony, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. great. He's made a career off of it. Stay high, battle, and get inside the six. And that's where mm. you're going to find your bread and butter. Nico's expected to create, get the ball off Christian and Gustav, sometimes even the center backs, and really create the flow of the play. And that's a way more difficult rhythm to get into than just getting on the end of service. So yeah. it's going to take time for Nico to get back to his best, but there's no doubt that he will. And this year, who knows? It might be a wash, and we might not see it until next year. I think that those right. are all realities that we have to face um, at this point and, and expectations. So um, yeah. I think you'll see this group uh, progress. I mean, Joven stepping in, looking motivated when he came in. Yeah, he back. That's good, the Joven really you wanted to see, right? Yeah. That's the one that we've talked about in the past. Like, he's got to be there as a lock. But if yeah. you got two center backs that, you know, haven't played together for a long time, aren't on a consistent, you know, run together, it can be difficult. So, you know, this, the the defensive pairing has got to get sorted, sorted out. Yeah. Um, so the Sounders rolled at MLS's back, comes to an end, falling to LAFC in the round of 16, four goals to one. Um, all credit has to go to LAFC. I mean, have you been able to watch any, any of the other games? I did watch last night, Columbus, Minnesota. I didn't see Portland, Cincinnati. Um, but... I mean, I don't know who your pick has been. I think it was Columbus for me, but San Jose for me looked incredible as well. I think Orlando looked quite good. I mean, has anyone else stuck out to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, San Jose has looked really good, um, yeah. but I don't think that they've faced the toughest competition yet. I think they're still going to face uh, face tougher competition. Yeah. Um, you know, Philadelphia, I think, is is a really good team. They've they've done it consistently throughout the tournament. Um, LAFC, I think, is, is the team for me right now. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, Minnesota is a sleeper. I didn't expect them to beat Columbus. They kind of snuck out of there with a victory. They, they don't really do it for me. Um, you know, Portland, yeah. Cincinnati, you'd, you'd figure Portland would have put one on Cincinnati. But again, Cincinnati's a team like Minnesota that, you know, was able to kind of hang in there. So yeah. these, these next games, I think you'll see better soccer. But I think at the end of the day, I think it's LAFC at this point. That's the, the you know, the winner for me. So, uh, but, you know, Sporting KC is... You know, yeah. I think with Polito, Polito changes that team completely. I think he's a, you know, the true number nine that everyone wants in the league. Mm. Um, and I think that he changes that team. So uh, I think you'll see, you know, one, one of those two teams. Without tooting LFC's horn too much, is there any other team in the league that can lose a guy who scored 30 plus goals with 15 assists and still score like 15 or 16 goals in four games? No, 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 absolutely <laughs> not. It's insane. It's insane. I mean, the just the the sheer willpower of the players in the game and, and throughout the yeah. tournament has been has been. It's just really as a soccer fan, you have to acknowledge it and say that this is something that, like you said, you don't see a Chad Marshall every you know decade yeah. or two. I don't think you see a team like this every ten yeah. 
yeah. 15, 20 years, right? So you have to acknowledge that team and, and what they're doing right now is uh, is is second to none. So um, it's it's fun to watch, obviously. Uh, you hate to be on the losing end of these things, but you know, moving forward, I think you'll see them continue to pile on goals. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sounders fans, keep hope. Hopefully we get some kind of regular season. And the good news is that 4-1 defeat would not count towards the standings, whereas the three group games would, which means the sound is not in a too terrible position. When we return after the break, we'll be joined by Sofia Huerta from U.S. Women's National Team, um, formerly of Chicago Red Stars, Houston Dash, now with the rain. Um, she'll be on to talk about life in the NWSL bubble, um, how she's finding her time in Washington, and her big decision for, to switch from the Mexico women's national team to the U.S. women's national team, um, right when we come back. Neighbors, more than just people next door. Good ones are indispensable. They look out for us, look after us, have our back at a moment's notice. They're quick to lend a hand or a hammer. They are trusted allies when times get tough. For more than 100 years, through prosperity and challenges, we've done our best to be that reliable next-door neighbor. Your neighbor. Wafed Bank. Member FDIC. Primera Blue Cross is proud to be the presenting partner of the 2020 Sounders FC season. Primera Blue Cross, always in your corner. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back. I'm so delighted. So, so delighted to say that we are joined by a very special guest, Sofia Huerta from the US Women's National Team and also the Olympic Reign, OL Reign, I think is what they go by now. Um, fresh off a bubble experience for the NWSL Challenge Cup. She joins us now live. Sofia, how are you doing? <laughs> You're so sweet. You're pumping me up, but I am. Um, I'm good. How are you doing? We're doing very well. You're on with myself and Brad Evans. And honestly, I I follow to an extent the women's game, you know, as much as I can. And um, I remember when you had first sort of um, broken on to the scene. I think you had a great cross on your debut that turned into an assist for the U.S. Women's National Team. So um, I definitely I'm going to try to tone it down, but I am a fan. So I just want to put that out there before oh. this goes any further. Oh my gosh. No, that's great. I appreciate that. So we have to begin with the bubble experience. Um, obviously, Major League Soccer is going for it right now in um, Orlando. The NBA is about to go for it as well. But the NWSL was the first professional sports league in the country to not only do it, but do it successfully. So as someone who was on the inside, what was the experience actually like? With, with the, um, was it super regimented, routine, um, the testing? How strict was going in coming out just kind of give us a lowdown on that whole experience yeah to be honest like the nwsl was fantastic they put all the right protocols um in place to ensure that we stayed healthy and you know we could only or only really had to focus on soccer and nothing else so you know that we had a, a good a regimen and routine if we played in the game um we got tested the next day and um, we got the results immediately. So there was no question whether or not if we were playing in the game, if people were positive or negative. And like I said, we got those results right away. Um, and, you know, I always felt safe with, you know, we were, um, I guess, exposed to other people, like maybe the chefs or whatnot, but they were always wearing masks and, you know, we always kept our distance. So I always felt safe. And again, no one in the bubble actually got Corona. You know, obviously, I don't know if you heard, but Orlando did have an uh you know 
they did have players who tested positive, but that was pre the NWSL Challenge Cup. So actually at the tournament in the bubble, no one got Corona, which is um, awesome because you can't say that for every team who's in the bubble <laughs> or every sport. Yeah, you guys, you guys did a tremendous job. Um, obviously, yeah, this really, isn't they the, did so good. Yeah, and obviously this isn't the 2020 that you had envisioned for yourself. Um, but y- your impressions of OL Reign so far, um, Seattle as a city, um, you know, and kind of, I guess, the overall feeling after exiting that tournament after PKs? Oh, well, I mean, of course, after losing, you never, you never feel great, especially in PKs. You know, I think a lot of people can agree that it's not the most fair way to determine who's the winner of the game. But, you know, I only have good things to say about the rain. Like, obviously, um, I'm not sure if people know this who are listening, but I've been traded a couple times, um, you know, just for career moves and stuff. And so I've played on a few teams. And, uh, I mean, I only have good things to say about the rain. It was such a good experience for me. The moment that I um, was traded, you know, people extended their arm and were so sweet. And then, like I said, or, you know, once I got actually with the team, which this year, again, was really unique. You know, I met up with them in Montana for preseason because we spent our preseason in Montana. Obviously, in Washington, we couldn't really train. So that's why we decided to go there. And it was such a good experience. I mean, the girls are amazing. We have such great veterans and leaders on the team. Everyone's so nice. And then bringing in the new additions like Fareed and the new coaching staff um, was just such a good experience for me. And I feel like I'm really going to take off. I mean, I'm 27 now. Obviously, I have the goal of going to World Cup and Olympics, and I never felt like I've been set up for that. Even though, obviously, I have to do it on my own, you can have people surrounding you that can make it easier and better, and I feel like the rain is going to be that for me. Um, Sophia, you had a very interesting experience because you kind of were playing for the Mexico women's national team and, you know, doing pretty well, and then at some point along the line, you made the decision to file a switch with um, FIFA, I believe, to switch over to um, the U.S. Women's National Team. What was behind that decision, and how do you look back now on the choice you made and how it's played out? Yeah, so that decision to switch from the Mexican team to the U.S. is not a hard one for me to make. Really, the hard one was deciding if I wanted to play for Mexico when I got approached by them back in, um, wow, that must have been 2012. Yeah, it was 2012 for the U20 Olympics, or U, uh, I think it was the um, 2012 World Cup, U20 World Cup in Japan. And um, I I really struggled with that decision because I had never thought about playing for Mexico. I mean, my dad's from Mexico and I would visit there often, but for me, it was always a dream to play on the, na- the U.S. national team. I mean, I grew up watching the 99ers, like, you know, I went to their games sometimes. I remember my dad driving me to Salt Lake, which is like a six-hour drive from Idaho, just so I could go to the game. Like, that was always my dream. But at that time, I wasn't really getting any attention from the U.S. I wasn't sure if they were interested in me at all. It seemed as if that wasn't really an option. Granted, I was only 19, but, you know, when you're young, you're not very patient. So um, when Mexico approached me, I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll take this opportunity, especially because when you play on the youth teams, um, it doesn't cap tie you. So that was you know, a hard decision to make, but I was like, oh, like, I'll just play for them. I know it's not that big of a deal and it will be a good experience and I'll get to play internationally at a young age, which I felt was really important at the time. Right after I, I played with the U20s, um, I got called into the full team and that was the hardest decision because I was like, oh, am I going to get cap tied? Um, but I ended up just doing it, played with them in a tournament, but it wasn't FIFA regulated. And so then 
I knew, I think I, we played the U.S. and we lost 8-0. And I just remember being on the bench on the Mexican t- team and being like, you know, it has nothing to do with the scoreline, but I know I'm meant to play on the other team right now. And after that game, I, I denied every invitation from Mexico and knew that I wanted to play for the U.S. And so um, in 2017, when I got invited to play with them, um, you know, I had to go through the process of my papers being changed. But that wasn't even a question. You know, it was like, yep, this is what I want to do. Let's get this started. And it took a couple months for them to be approved. But there was no questions there for me. It's uh, it's interesting that you say that, you know, I played with the national team a number of times and we had a lot of German internationals, uh, Mexican internationals also. But it was different because the players were born in the U.S., but they all either played in Germany or overseas or they played in Mexico, but decided to play for the U.S. So it's it's interesting to hear the perspective of a domestic player going to play for Mexico and then switching. Did you face any backlash in that uh, switch? Yes. Um, I'm sure you got crushed yes. on social media. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually was just asked about this the other day, and I don't, you know, I'm sure you guys know as athletes, like, of course you're going to see some stuff, but you don't really pay attention to that because, you know, it's just, it's you don't need to. It's so noise. I never really yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like pointless, whatever. So I would see some stuff just about how I was a trader and, you know, whatever. But my dad, of course, he's so cute, but he <laughs> he really would, like, look to see what people would say and, people were not happy like at all but from both ends I mean um I think that it was kind of looked down upon but I I guess for me like that's why it was really important for me to get my story out because I think you know people who didn't know my story were just like oh she's a traitor but it's like well well actually like I'm from Boise Idaho um always had a dream to play on the U.S. and I just wanted to take the opportunity to play for Mexico but it was never really my dream so like am I a traitor or is that Mm -hmm. just a part of my journey? And so I think once people heard my story, they laid off a little bit. (laughs) But yeah, definitely experienced some black backlash there. Uh, um, So Sophia, I can relate just a little bit. In 2014, I made the very not smart decision to leave Seattle and get traded to Portland Timbers, our biggest rival. So um, I definitely relate to... Still facing backlash. I have to hang up now. Yeah, still facing backlash. I'm still, re- I'm still recovering. But um, something <laughs> about the national team that's interesting for you is you were in college, you scored a million goals, um, you came into the league sort of as a very attack-minded player. You get to the national team, and then your national team coach says, you know, I think a position switch may be in order. And by the way, Brad Evans can also probably relate to this a lot because he had to play many different roles as well. But tell us about that where Jill Ellis says, if you want a future here, you need to become a right back, especially as someone who's a very attacking player. Yeah, so you actually see that a lot. If you look at all the outside backs on the national team, all of them were our forwards who were converted to outside backs, which is interesting. I'm, I'm not really quite sure why that is, but you look at Kelly O'Hara. I mean, she scored so many goals in college. Now she's the most consistent outside back when she's not injured. Casey Short, same thing. Um, so I don't know why they do that, but I think, you know, I guess – what she told me and what I gathered from the situation was that the forward in the midfield line is obviously so competitive. And I think I was good enough to be on the team and she was just trying to figure out a way for me to be on the team. And I think outside back made sense to her. I'm, you know, I have good endurance. I have a good service in, um, I'm aggressive. Granted, I think that there's way more to being a defender, which I obviously found out the hard way. You know, there's so many, it's, I'm not saying like people don't respect defenders as much as they should because there's 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 little things that I didn't know that I needed to get better at. Um, you know, obviously just 
some simple stuff that I've never learned because I've always been an attacker. So that was interesting for me, but obviously I was just so um, ecstatic about the opportunity. I mean, I've been wanting to get called into the national team forever. So when she was like, I'm going to play you at outside back, I said, perfect. Like I'll play goalie. I just want to <laughs> be on the team. So um, that was interesting, but that led to just um, a, a difficult situation for me because I played on the red stars, you know, found success there as a forward um, was even playing, getting some time as the number 10, so I'd never spent time at defense at all. And so when I was getting called into camp, everyone kind of said to me, like, look, if you really want to be a, like a serious contender as an outside back for the World Cup, like we're going to need you to get, get games there because, you know, we think you're a good attacker. And at the time, the national team was playing with really two, like two high outside backs. So it did suit my, my game. Um, but I had never really been tested as a defender. And I think that was something that was holding me back. And so I wanted to play defender but obviously Chicago would not play me there because I was one of the leading goal scorers on the team and so I asked for a trade um you know there was some some stuff that happened with that and I got traded to Houston being told that I was going to play outside back and I didn't play one minute at outside back when I got traded to Houston (laughs) so that was unfortunate but you know everyone I talk about that a lot and um, you know, it's not an excuse that why it's not, that's not the reason I didn't make the national team or why I didn't stick and go to the world cup. Like at the end of the day, if I was performing the best and I was one of the best outside backs, I would have been in the 23. Um, but I, you know, that is my story and that, that is the reality of my situation, but there's, there are silver linings and everything, you know, like, I don't know if I would have ever left Chicago if it weren't for this, but now I'm at the, Oh, I'm at OL rain and it's a, the best situation for me so again it's all worked out but it was pretty unfortunate at the time for sure at the end of the day it's about getting on the field right no matter where you play it's about getting games and to you know if you're good yeah, enough like sure. Zakawani's Zakawani was never going to get uh benched he was always going to play because he was a specialist at one position you know where I had to kind of fight to get on the field at multiple positions but you just want to play and get games and that's what you know ultimately gets you on the national team but a, a lot of talk and I think that this guy will will shape your game but the new head coach of OL Rain Farid um can you kind of mm-hmm. talk about him because I've read nothing but good things from players uh in interviews the way he approaches interviews um you know on YouTube and and watching his videos he just seems like a cool calm collected guy who's kind of been through the ropes does he yeah. you know shape this team in any sort of way what, what have you guys learned so far from him oh my gosh you guys it's you know you're he, people are gonna think he paid me to say this but i he, he obviously did <laughs> but he's he's the he's the best honestly like like i said i've been a player who's been fortunate to be on a few teams um and he's by far the best coach you know i think um he just has a different approach and um, I think he really also cares. And that's a difficult thing as a, as a coach to, to have, you know, um, have that personal relationship with your players, not, you know, not it be too personal, you know, you want to keep things business and then also having the knowledge to, to give to his players. I mean, he has a perfect balance of both. Like he knows a lot about my life and I know a lot about his and that translate on, on to the pitch. It's the same thing when you, you talk about your teammates, you know, it's like the, the closer you are with your teammates off the field, the better you, you mesh on the field. And it's the same with him. And then on top of that, he's obvious, his resume is amazing and he knows what he's talking about. And so for me, you know, I, I've loved all my coaches, to be honest, I've 
you know, I've had a good experience, but he just, um, he's just the perfect balance of everything. And I think everyone respected him so much. And, you know, I think he, like I said, no soccer so well. So the moment he tells you to do something different, you're like, yes, mm. I will do that because I know it's going to make me better. And so I think even though it didn't necessarily transla- translate into the tournament, um, I mean, there were some unfortunate events that happened. Obviously, a lot of new players. I was injured. Ali Long got injured. Jess Fishlock was only basically mm-hmm. in one game. Um, yeah. So, you know, again, not to make excuses. Those are just facts, people. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But that that is not a reflection of how how good he is, and that's why I'm so excited for the – I mean, I think we are going to play some friendlies in September, and then season might be over after that, but then I'm excited for next year. Hopefully things normalize and we get to showcase what yeah. we can do in a full season. Yeah. Wow, awesome. Um, so a, a little-known fact about me is when I was growing up in London, obviously I was a pretty good footballer, but I was an amazing badminton player in high school. Amazing. I am one of the best in the country at badminton. But as I was doing research on you on Wikipedia, the most reliable website of all time, um, I said that you played soccer, basketball, you ran track, you were Idaho Gatorade Player of the Year in soccer, you set records for the fastest time, I think, in the 100 meters and the 300 meter hurdles and all, all kinds of stuff. For someone so talented at many sports, why did you ultimately um, choose to pursue this one in particular and not any of the others? <laughs> wow, you know everything. Wiki is good. Uh, 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 Wikipedia uh, is incredible. <laughs> yeah, no, I played a lot of sports growing up. I mean, that those are like some of my funnest years. I loved playing. I mean, I loved playing all those sports. And I, I did get recruited for basketball and track. Um, but I think with soccer, it was just, um, I just had more opportunity, you know, like with ODP and, you know, showcases that we traveled to as with my club team, I just was noticed and got more attention with soccer early on. And I think obviously when you get that, it, it drives you a little more. And, you know, I think it was just obvious that soccer was my best sport. Like I was good at basketball and I was pretty good at hurdles, but um, I knew I was never going to be the best at either, whereas I knew and believed in myself that I could be one of the best at soccer. And like I said, I just think it was, I, I got noticed earlier. So it was kind of a no brainer, you know, I mean, I got my first, it's, I mean, it all starts young now, but I got my first letter when I was in eighth grade, you know, um, that was not happening for track or basketball and <laughs> soccer that happened immediately. So that's amazing. So um, as, as this uh, MLS tournament comes to a close, obviously you guys closed uh, a couple of weeks ago, but has there been any talk of a potential season moving forward or would the team and the individuals start to make that transition as you do to kind of go back overseas, uh, maybe to Australia and get a jump start of a preseason over there? They're doing a bit better with this whole COVID thing. Um, any, any talk of a season? Yeah, so right now, um, I think there will just be friendlies moving forward. So I know that there's talks into us going to Portland and maybe playing, like, the Canadian national team in Portland and um, maybe some teams that are kind of in this region or on the side of the states and stuff. And then, like, Midwest and East teams will play maybe if friendlies in North Carolina. I'm not 100% sure, but we do go back to training August 17th to prepare for those friendlies. And then after that, I'm pretty sure our season's over. And then, yeah, there are players who are going to play abroad. Um, you know, I think it's difficult in this time because so many players do want to go play abroad that it's going to be hard to get on a team. 
But um, I know that OL Rain is going to provide training in some way or another, so I'm not too worried about it. But, yeah, again, such a weird year. Um, I think after the friendlies, it will just be done, and then, you know, we'll have our off season. But um, not quite sure yet. So what, the one thing I do know is I'll be reporting back. Um, you know, we ha- we'll be back in training August 17th, so yes, pretty nice. soon. All right. Awesome. Well, Sophia, I- I'm going to extend the invitation to you. I, um, I play every winter in a, in a it's, it's, it's not a great level. It's for really old and slow retired players like myself, but we need, we need a ringer. So if you're ever around Seattle and want to come and score a hat trick, um, you're more than welcome to come. <laughs> I am I am definitely down for that, for sure. <laughs> more than welcome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Um, we're very glad you're with us here in Washington now. Um, we look forward to continuing to see how you develop with the rain. And yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Sophia. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited. And obviously, when things um, get better, I'll, I would love to come in and actually meet you guys and do an interview in person, of course. Perfect. That we will make happen. Absolutely. Thank you so much. When it comes to great tequila, El Himidor delivers. Get $5 off your first Drizzly delivery with the promo code El Himidor. El Himidor Tequila, 100% good vibes, 100% agave, and the official tequila of Seattle Sounders FC. Must be 21 plus to order. Offer valid for new customers only. Live 100% responsibly. El Himidor is a registered trademark. Copyright 2020 Brown Foreman. All rights reserved. Tequila 40% ABV. Imported by Brown Foreman. Louisville, Kentucky. Your Seattle Sounders have taken 34 corner kicks so far in 2020. And that means $17,000 will be donated to Ray Foundation thanks to Primera Blue Cross and the Corners for Community program. To learn more about Corners for Community, please visit soundersfc.com slash corners for community. Welcome back. Once again, thanks to Sophia for joining us. And right before we go, um, it's tough to know. I think, I don't know. Well, first of all, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I know. I don't know if the transfer window is open or not. I never know the MLS transfer window. But um, assuming teams are working behind the scenes, obviously when a pandemic, people don't know if there's any money in the sport. People don't know if there's going to be a season. So I don't, I think a lot of scouts and GMs and technical directors, their hands are a lot more tied than usual with the uncertainty. But they wouldn't be doing their job if they weren't at least keeping their eyes out there. Um, when you look at the Soundless team, is, is there, maybe there isn't, is there any one area that for you is glaring and just needs improvement if that position was upgraded or if someone came in, this type of player, um, we would then go to a next level. Like, is there anyone we should be looking for between Garth and Schmetzer and Chris Henderson and Adrian and those guys? Well, I think the team has to decide what it wants to do. Does it want to just have homegrown players and try to sell these guys in a year or two and get them MLS experience and build a solid 11 or 12 and not really have a deep bench? Or do they want to go out and get, you know, some MLS veterans that have been through the ringer a couple times and be able to have a bench that's going to make an impact? So I don't know if it was cap tied because of last year or just didn't make any moves to really fill in this bench, but you know, no, nobody's able to come off the bench and make a difference. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the Will bottom Bruin. line. Yeah. yeah, apart from Will Bruin. But that, that's the bottom yeah. line right now. And, and to be successful in a tournament, we talked about it a couple of games ago. If you're going to do that, you got to have game changers on the bench. Um, yeah. And that's that maybe that's a product of MLS and, and, you know, salaries and whatnot. But if we're going to sell players and just have homegrowns, then maybe that's the route we're going. 
Um, or are we going to build a more well-rounded roster with, uh, you know, some, some veteran presence, whether that's in MLS guys that know how to win in this yeah. league, or it's going out and getting two or three players that can make a difference as, whether as starters or off the bench. But I think right now it's probably more looking at, can we get a player that, you know, comes in on a loan and if we like him, we'll buy him next year. That makes yeah. the most sense to me. Um, cause you might have, you're going to have an expedited season. It's going to be weird. So for a player yeah. to come in and really make an impact and spend a lot of money on him doesn't make sense. It'll probably be a situation where they bring in someone that makes an impact with an option to buy that guy. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a tough one, but also you need a guy on, on the team that's going to take it by the scruff mm-hmm. and, you know, lead this team. Who's the yeah. leader on the team for you when you, when you watch that, that play? That, that is always the tough one. The only guy I can think of, again, I, I always go back to this, and I hate to be that back-in-my-day guy, but I remember we would be in tough games, and, you know, we had people on the team, whether it was a Casey Keller, Zach Scott, yourself, whoever, even someone like a Nate Jake, but there were guys who, when the going got tough, were able to like be like, all right, dig in, let's find a way to win. Whether you had you no know, flair players like myself or Montero and Lundberg, we couldn't win every game. Some days you just got to win 1-0 and keep tight and like that. We would have that. I don't know who that guy is. The closest guy is Stefan Fry, but I feel like he's the only one and he's too far back. He's too, especially in games like LAFC, he's too busy trying to keep the ball out of the net. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I mean, Nico does it through playing, but if his game's off, then that can't really happen. Jordan is through playing. Christian's a bit half and half. So yeah, I think that, is missing and it's weird because chad marshall before i knew chad when i used to play against chad columbus i thought he was this big crazy vocal leader and he really wasn't but the way he played he did it that way as well so i don't know that that exists right now um that needs to change i think you need someone on the right to counterbalance jordan because when this team was at their very best i think some of the best football you had victor on one side rodriguez and jordan on the other so Teams had to respect both. I think right now you had OPR, Buana, Ibarra, all starting on the right. Christian start on the right. No one really made it theirs. And so that's still a question mark. And then, of course, the centre-back. You know, you've gone from having Roman Torres, Chad Marshall, Kim Kihi as a rotation. Um, and now it's Ariago who has a mistaken name. Shane O'Neill, who maybe is not a starter, I wouldn't say, um, if you want to. He's, he's a squad player. And then you have Yemo, who probably is a starting caliber player. You need, I think, one more. Someone else there so that um, it just gives you more depth as well. So I would say a right winger and a centre-back are key. And if one of those can be that leader who you just need the guys who have... The, you can't measure it. It's an intangible. It's someone who, in tough games, you're losing. Especially when you came to 2-1 and the hope was there. Someone's going to galvanise the troops and really get them going. I mean, Zach Scott was that for me. Um, I remember he didn't talk much, but when he spoke, I listened. I mean, Casey talked too much, but I still listened. So it was like, you need, yeah, you need guys like that. But when you look at, you know, I mean, we have to talk about salary comes into play. Then you've got, if you're talking about getting another center back, then you've got, you know, a million and a half tied up, you know, potentially with a good starting center back is going to cost, you know, 250, 350, you know, up to a a half a million dollars. Yeah. And you've already got Yamar making that. You've already, maybe more. And then you've already got, um, Ariaga, you know Ariaga. So is that where you're going to put all your money? Is in defense now? Then the team completely changes. Yeah, you know if yeah. you're going to allocate all your money there. So I don't know. It's it's a it's a difficult time for the Sounders in the back, and that's the reality yeah. that we're facing. So how they deal with it, um, it's going to we'll we'll see in the next 15 games if they have a 15 game season, right? Yeah, yeah, we shall see. Well, fans, again, MLS is back. Is over for the Sounders. No games on the horizon anytime soon, but. There definitely is potentially some movement behind the scenes and um, hopefully um, we will see 
some kind of season and with some games in market most likely with no fans but we'll cross those bridges when we get there um thank you as well for tuning in thanks again to sophia for joining us we'll be back next week um to keep the show rolling so thanks for tuning in winging it with zach and brad uh see you next week